Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Uh, another remote one this week, so hopefully the sound quality is a little bit better than, than last week's in which Ian sounded like you were recording from underwater, um, but needs must, obviously. Um, well, we'll see. Yeah, what can I say? Don't yeah. know until we uh, load it up. It sounded all fine last week, didn't it? And then we had a little check playback and it sounded like I was being recorded in a fish tank. Well, I, mean, I don't know if this one's any better. You sound better this week, but God knows what it's going to come out in terms of recording. Um, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, so um, do you want to start with UFC first? I know there's quite a lot that's happened this week. Um, stuff that I've got this week, which is a surprise, but I know that you'll be itching to talk about it. Um, we might as well do, because I've got a few bits that link to it, we might as well do a bit of a recap of 282. Yeah. Um, so I was watching some of these ref- uh, fights. Um, Tapura looked obviously very slick, I thought, um, in beating uh, Bryce Mitchell. Uh, obviously, beforehand, there was a bit of back and forth between him and Paddy. When he's trying to obviously boost his own profile, I think, Tapura, by getting a fight with Baddy, uh, the Baddy, even though they're at different weights. Um, I thought he looked very slick. It was, uh, you know, some hard hitting, but definitely holes in his game. He, he, he definitely he wasn't flawless. And someone like Paddy will probably be thinking, do you know what? Whilst you look pretty good, he got tagged a few times. He got taken down at the end of the first round. Um, I didn't think, you know, there's certainly, if you were his coaches, something to go back to and say, right, we need to work on some of these holes. If someone like me, who's certainly uh, maybe a bit more into it than the average fan, but uh, a coach would be able to dissect that and say, look, that we need to, to work on X, Y and Z if you're going to bump up to that next level. But I thought he looked pretty good. He's always been good when I've seen him, to be honest. And he's normally obviously on the undercards. He's still not at the point where he's, he's going to be rushing to, to get any sort of main event fights. But I mean, you could say the same about Paddy. Um, and I know we'll come on to that, but that's probably one of the most controversial victories that I've seen for a while. You strongly disagree. I think from the conversations that we've had, but I thought he'd lost that fight. And I think Tapura will be looking at exactly the same and, and thinking, you know what, I can take him apart here and, and take quite a big scalp. Funnily enough, I rewatched it last night, actually, Paddy's fight, just because I thought I'm going to have a look at a second look. I, I definitely still don't agree that it was as much of a robbery as people say. And he, get, he did get tagged. Um, some of the stats in terms of particularly body shots, I think it was that Jared Gordon had the overwhelming advantage on. But um, have I distinctly got some bias, let's be honest on this. English guy, Scouser, and he's kind of England shit Conor McGregor, isn't he? So I'm not going to lie. I I like Paddy. I like what he's trying to do. Uh, He's a bit cheesy with it, but he's clearly trying to replicate the McGregor formula. And I don't think he's as quick-witted or anywhere near as good to be able to pull it off. But I didn't think it was as bad. But I could definitely, re-watching it again, I can see how people would be like, what the fuck? Because I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, the, the biggest thing that shone out for me in the second time I watched it was the size difference again. Paddy was fucking huge compared to him. Like he must, Paddy, when he rehydrated after that, I mean, I mean, you know, he ballooned up to 200 pounds and he was fighting at 155, but he must have been weighing at 170, if not higher for the fight. They were they looked a weight class apart, I thought. Well, Gordon went straight to Twitter afterwards, didn't he? And, and I've got a, his tweet here. So he said, uh, I was robbed and everyone knows it. I can cry about it, but I've been back from the worst and God's plan is the best plan. So I know there's something big to come from it. But a lot of people were booing after the know. announcement of the uh, the scores because they had him, were it 29-28? Yeah, and, and I, 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 again, if to agree with you, 
there was quite a lot of fighters in particular that seemed to overwhelmingly agree with you that, you know, it was pretty clear to Gordon. So um, I, I definitely think I'm probably in the minority saying that I don't think it was as quite as as much of a, an outrageous decision as people say. But um, it's been prison only Gordon. Again, he's looking back on it, thinking it could be fucking worse. Um, and <clears throat> the other thing that stuck out to me was how popular Paddy was with the American crowd. Yeah, I noticed that. He got that. the best reception of the night. He got the best reception of the night. Um, I thought he would probably be predominantly English fans, what you know, but he's clearly very popular across the board. And that also weighs in with um, probably the reason that he then got, you know, Dana clearly likes him, doesn't he? He's trying to push him as a bit of a star. Um, I mean, because what it, I would say about that, it, it re- weirdly loops back to one of the points we'd made not that long ago, which is decisions in MMA tend to not be as outrageous as boxing. And it's certainly getting that way with a couple of these recent ones and even the, the main card, the, the, the split the, the draw uh, that we'll come on to. That was that was a fucking terrible decision. But it, it's creeping in it, like you say, and it, it it detracts away from me watching boxing at the moment because everything in boxing seems to be, and again, we'll, we'll come on to Josh Warrington, but everything in boxing seems to be the winner who quite clearly has won the fight doesn't end up being the winner at all and actually loses it because they've, they've faced the hometown hero. The whole thing with Dillian White the other week uh, in boxing, obviously, for me, he'd lost that fight and he still somehow won. Um, and the, the same has happened here. The same happened with Sean O'Malley. And that's not necessarily because he was a, a hometown favourite, but because he's been pushed to the moon at the moment by the UFC and obviously they're looking to get the, the bigger stars in. But yeah, I, I thought this was really close, but I still don't think... Pimblet won it. I thought he'd lost it by probably a round. I don't think he'd lost it unanimously um, in the sense that everyone thinking that he'd lost it, you know, 30 rounds to or 30 to 27 on the scorecards. But I think he, he definitely did lose this fight. And had he not been who he is and had he not been pushed as much as Dana is, is trying to push him at the moment, I don't think he comes out with a win here. Yeah, don't disagree with you. Um, I think, as you say, he's, he's clearly one of the, 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 the star, the rising stars that they're trying to push. I think that probably makes sense. What, But again, let's just be clear. Dana doesn't have any direct influence over the judges. And we're, you know... Uh, allegedly. Just to remember, they're not employed by the UFC. They're employed yeah. by the Athletic Commission of the state that the fight is in. So I, I kind of hear you and I kind of think sometimes that will he be having a word or whatever, but... There's no direct link between the UFC and the judges. And the only other thing you would say, which is also systemic of what we said, MMA judges are predominantly boxing judges. The yeah. judges only recently have MMA judges in terms of specialities been introduced. Um, certainly, for, to go back three, four years, all judges were boxing judges. Just, you know, taken from boxing to tweak which again explains why when we always moan about the judging decisions where some of that awful decisions come from because they are the same judges that make the fucking terrible decisions for boxing so it's only more since MMA suddenly got a bit of a boost and uh, a bit more mainstream that you get judges that are now former referees or former fighters that have specialised in MMA so it's still kind of emerging in that respect. You also can't really not even really you can't at all judge a UFC fight in the same way that you're going to judge a boxing fight and and I know we've discussed this on a previous episode and I think we went quite into detail about that but boxing is all about scoring points Um, it's all about getting the the bigger hits you know the the more showman uh, like hits but then UFC 
there's so many different elements to it and there's so many different levels to it that it's not just as simple as, well, that guy got punched more times in the head or got punched more times in the body, therefore he's won, because obviously there's other factors that come into to account. So I think one of the problems is, as you say, I, I get the feeling it's quite hard to separate judging boxing from judging UFC if you do both as a, a career. So Yeah, 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 definitely. And um, again, if you took someone else in a different profession, you know, a doctor, I suppose it's it's maybe not quite the same, but if you took a GP and suddenly said, right, you now have to be an eye surgeon, they're going to struggle. So again, I think sometimes it's unfair to expect people who are career boxing judges just to adopt MMA. And to, again, they need proper training. The, the, the biggest one for me, that worked, particularly when it was pure boxing judges that they clearly have no idea about is jiu-jitsu and ground control you know they're they're, they're ranking them basically on the stand-up abilities they might have a bit of knowledge of kickboxing they clearly know about boxing but it's usually when the game you know wrestling submissions they clearly have no clue on but um yeah we could go off and this would definitely be one maybe for another podcast we could do a bit more of a detailed slot on because we could rant for ages about this one but um one that was a bit embarrassing, I think, just back to the main card, was was Darren Till. Yeah. So, um, I mean, again, Scouser came in quite impressive uh, to the UFC a, a little while ago. Um, the stats when I was watching it was in the first round, he didn't land a strike until there was 45 seconds left on the clock and the strike count was 60 to zero against him. It's it, absolutely bad, and what... it's horrible to watch. To be honest, because obviously Darren Till is is quite, I mean, he's quite liked by a lot of English people, and obviously people want to push him to the moon as much. But what's his um, his record now? Is it five in six in terms of defeats? Um, is, yeah, yeah, eighteen and five is his overall record. I think which, he came which in is undefeated. Ridiculous. And I text you after I'd watched it quite early in the morning. I didn't watch it live, but I watched the replay afterwards. I text you saying I'm done with him now. And it sounds horrible. And obviously, he's not going to give a flying fuck what I think about him. But it's just getting to the point where you're watching him and you're expecting him to lose every single time. It's not a matter of, all oh, right, it's going to turn it around here. It's going to be real. He hasn't looked the same fighter for a number of years now. And I just. I don't know if it's he needs a new coach, he needs someone just to tell him, look, you need to get a grip here or what, but some it isn't quite right, quite clearly. The, the funny thing for me was, to your point there, I don't disagree, but you're watching that first round and he got absolutely scored and you're thinking, fucking hell, he's taking a battering here. Second round, good round, probably won the, won, won the round. Took him down, got some punches back, landed some kicks, actually had a pretty good round. Third round, it was a bit closer. But I'll tell you what, like we maybe gave Oliveira a bit of stick for what looked a relatively quick tap out when Makalev got him in that head and arm choke. I don't ever recall, and I was actually thinking about this, and I even did a bit of Googling, a rear naked choke that quickly. That was like applied by De Plessis for two seconds, three seconds top. It, on, when I, I did rewatch it again uh, last night, as, as I did with the paddy fight, it was deeper than I thought it was the first time. But originally, I thought it was a bit Khabib ac- uh, against Connor esque across the chin, which you should not be tapping after two seconds with one across the chin. That's unpleasant. It's not nice, but it's not deep in terms of a choke like that. But it was deeper than I thought. But that was a quick tap until which, and again, he got a lot of stick for giving up, but it felt a little bit like that. 
is it a mental thing, do you think? So with stuff like that, if he's obviously feeling like he's in danger or, and I know obviously it's all about you try to be a warrior and you try to stay in the game as long as you possibly can. But if he's constantly worried, considering the fact that he's lost so many of his last fights and he's in a position where he's like, look, I'm here for my payday. Mentally, as soon as he lays this in, I'm going to tap out anyway. I might as well tap out straight away as soon as he's got it in. Is it someone that needs to go in, like a psychologist, sports psychologist, and have a word with him? Or Maybe, but you don't get to the levels he's at. Again, he, he might be on a bit of a bad skid, to be fair to him, but you don't get to those levels by being a complete pussy. You know, let's be fair. Um, you know, maybe something's going wrong. Maybe there's something in the background in his, in his personal life. I do remember when he first came in, I don't know if you, again, how much of a geek or a fan you are for this, but he used to have his bird tattooed on his arm, this horrendous portrait of a woman on his arm. And if you now look, he's had it covered up. So like with like some tribal shit. So my guessing would be that he's not with his bird anymore. So I don't know if that has, you know, there's other shit outside of what's going on that's impacting on his performance. But, um, something you're right something's definitely not quite right and he needs a tweak whether it's a new coach whether it's he's a mental coach he and he, i said he's going to take some time away but he's got the skill set to come back and he's still only 29 so even if he took six months out regroup tries to, to to get some extra coaching as you say or some help in those extra facets maybe where he's fallen a little bit short he's still got time yeah um and there are a few other fights obviously that we're talking about you had um Raul Rosas Jr. became the youngest fighter to win a UFC bout, uh, beat Jay Perry versus uh, via submission on his debut. So that were quite noteworthy. Um, not really talked about that much. I think it was just more the the record itself. Um, but it'd be interesting to see what he does going forward. Very impressive, and we, we had talked about him before, haven't we? Because he'd come out and said he, he was going to try and be the youngest champ ever. He's got like yeah. five years to beat John Jones's record, so he's got a fair amount of time on his side. Um, looked quite impressive. And the only question is what the UFC do with him in terms of do they build him slowly and, you know, a bit like they do with your paddies and, and feed him a few wins and things like that to build him up? Or do they just throw him straight into the wolves if he's trying to get to that kind of... I mean, again, if you've got five years on your side before you want to win to be the youngest champ, he can definitely take a few lower fight cards, let the pressure off, build his skill set. You know, I think he's I mean, finished high school as they call it in America, they so when he was he's fighting. So he actually said he needed to, I think, postpone his final exams for this fight camp and was going to go back and finish him after the fight. So he's definitely got time on his side and you cannot take away from how impressive that is. Is Let's be honest, no disrespect to him, he's a fucking kid fighting men. Yeah. You know, that's that that's that's a fucking achievement to be to even be in the UFC, to even be on Dana White's contender series where he came from at his age is Absolutely incredible. So give him time, slow things down a little bit. He's got two or three years to build it, build his skill set. He's probably one of those fighters as well. Because of his age, you would see very quickly in front of your eyes evolve. Every fight, get better. So um, give, him, give, him, give him some easy fights and, and let him build up would be my view on him. Yeah, I don't think there's any point in throwing him straight in because, like you say, he's got so much time. At the time is clearly on his side. He's got so much time to build himself up and become. You're never going to be a complete package, but obviously develop everything in terms of his skill set and get to the point where, when he does get that title challenge, that he's probably going to be the favourite to do so. Obviously, five years is a long period of time, and we'll see what happens in the the time then between then and uh, now. But yeah, I, I think it's 
for me, it should be a slow burn and then even more satisfying when he gets to, to the top, hopefully. Absolutely. Um, and then the only one I've got left to talk about on that card was obviously, we mentioned it earlier, the light heavyweight title fight. Um, Blahovic versus Ankalev. And um, shocking decision. Gave it as a, a draw. Split decision draw, I think it was. And... Um, or, yeah, it wasn't a unanimous draw, was it? One gave it for each fighter, and then the third judge called it a draw, which made it the the, the, the split draw. Um, even Blahovic in the interview said, "Give it to Ankalev." You know, I think he said, "I didn't, I didn't win that fight," which I think was very, I mean, light heavyweight. Considering how much bullshit you get from fighters these days, that's two really honourable and unexpected things from fighters in a row. I, in Yeezy Prohaska, giving up and vacating the title, saying I'm not going to hold it up. And then Blahovic saying, do you know what? I didn't probably win that fight. You know, it's, it's quite refreshing to see, um, given the usual huster and bluster of fighters where they're like, I fucking won. Even, you know, like a paddy. What, what, what? You know, he didn't even kind of acknowledge any controversy. He was like, yeah, I clearly won the fight. So that's that's the, the norm of fighters. So I thought that was very impressive of uh, Blahovic to, to admit that. Yeah, and I agree. I think he, he clearly lost this fight. Um, uh, I just I, I'm bored of speaking about poor judging in all manners of sports at the moment. I just don't understand how it can just continue as it is, and no one is calling up on it. It, it just seems to be. I mean, even in we're talking about football refereeing, it just seems to be officiating in general is poor, and the standard in 2022 has been atrocious. And it doesn't seem to be getting any better. It just seems to be getting worse and worse. It's funny you say that because I'll, I'll flip that argument for you then, just for, unlike me, just to be an argumentative cunt for argumentative Shock. sake. But um, could you say, because of the things, particularly football, do we have a, too high expectations? Do we expect no. flawless performances from referees uh, in any sport, which they are human? We all make mistakes. We all fuck up. We all... You know, as a query to a question back to you, do do, do are our expectations too high for rem- referees and you know across sport in general? Absolutely not, because it works in other sports, and and that's the point for me of having a team of officials. So in boxing, if one judge gets it horrendously wrong, the other two are going to save his back. If in sport the referee gets it wrong, well, you've introduced VAR recently, so is, is VAR not there to rectify these big major? incorrect decisions you've got your linesman to help your fourth official who never does anything and i still don't understand why they even get paid um but then you look at cricket so cricket which don't get me wrong has had some controversial decisions and will continue to have controversial decisions but has almost perfected the use of technology to the point where if something happens has he has he hit that ball and has he caught it well let's use a five or you know different versions of technology so your snicker your hotspot uh, we'll go back to it. We'll replay it a little bit. And it's not a matter of, and this is where the issue with football comes in, but it's not a matter of this is going to take you know, five, ten minutes for a decision. These are the parameters. This is what we've got in place. If it works and it clearly shows that this individual is out, then there's no arguing with it. If it clearly shows that they're not out or there's any doubt about it, we won't give them out. And, and that's how it should be. And in judging... It should be even simpler than that. It should be a matter of, and I think this is where the technology that we discussed a few weeks back as well should come into hand here. It should be a matter of this certain, whether it be a punch, a kick, you know, where it's connecting, should land so many points and it should top up, it should tally up. Because at this moment in time, just saying, yeah, it's a 10-9 round is that. 
and then just sitting back and just be like, why is it? Ah, I just I thought it was I thought it were better in that round. Why? Ah, you landed a little bit more. I did a little bit more for me. All oh, right, okay. So not really any reason at all. It's just a matter of it's your opinion, and there's no parameters for that. Yeah, pretty much. And that's how it is. And I think unless there's something that significant happens here, you're going to continue that, and it's only going to get worse. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say to you, when even with all the technology and that, give me a sport that gets things perfect. There isn't one, but to be fair, you're, you're probably right that cricket is maybe the best shining example where the vast, vast majority of decisions seem correct and they have that t- technology to go back and get them um, more correct. There's probably the least outrageous mistakes in cricket than any other sport, so that's a, probably a pretty good shout. But even with, I mean, look at VAR. That was brought in to make things as perfect and look how many decisions they still fuck up. Not harping back. England. Look how much we talked about that. They got VAR and they still managed to fuck those up. So I, I hear what you're saying and the technology should make things better. But sadly, even when that's progressed far beyond the ability of a subjective human in their decision making alone with VAR, with the Snickos and all that, you still get fuck ups. So the issue I, I with VAR, it, it, the. the the main issue with VAR, though, is that, that it's still not objective, is it? it? It still is subjective because it's essentially, for the, the Harry Kane one, as an example, so the penalty that wasn't given and, and even VAR didn't give it, it was, was it in the line or not? And was it over the line? And was it prior to the line? Or was it in the penalty box, etc.? And that's to do with the rules themselves. And their opinion of the rules and their opinion of, did it carry, is still wrong, in my opinion, obviously. But they didn't even give um, it as a free kick, did they? But you can't give a free I agree kick with you. Yeah. That was the question, but they did. Yeah, true. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm just going to say that. If they, they call it back and said, look, we think it's on the line, so therefore it's a free kick, then I would agree with you. They've then got that right. And then they've got at least a distinguishable reason to say, this is why we didn't give it. But yeah, well, that, that, yeah that, that's right, exactly so why. That's, that's a, a rule book change, is that? And I, don't get me wrong, I agree with you. That's, and obviously we'll come on to football shortly, but. Football, in the sense of how VAR working, uh, or VAR is working at the moment, or not working, is it can only impact essentially game changing decisions. So it can only impact red cards, and it can only really impact goals and penalties and things like that. It can't, you know, change uh, that. That's a, a foul. I think it's a yellow card. I think it's a free kick. We'll go back to it and do that. It's just a matter of no. It, it's uh, we're going to disallow what's happened afterwards and not go back to that. So it's all a bit. In its infancy, I, I, I understand that, but it's still wrong and it still needs changing. And the quicker they get it changed, the quicker it's better for not just football, but any sport that uses technology. Yeah, and it seems like MMA, they're putting in place some things that should help. Like, with, as you say, you've mentioned earlier and we've referred to before this, I can't remember what it was called, the um, sort of AI sort of camera angle shit that then can review you know count up the body strikes all of those type of things which are all tools for the judges to then help them make the right calls on these so they can pull up those stats right look how many body kicks have landed look at the time on the ground control right i should therefore give that a 10-9 a 10-8 or whatever so it's a progression ultimately and you can't no one's ever going to get things right and if it's moving the right way that's the main thing yeah but one of the things that has come out of this is obviously 283 now has a and strange for me, but has a title fight, not including any of these, but for the same title. Yeah, weirdly. So because of the split decision, and that was for the interim light heavyweight title, 
uh, Glover Teixeira, who was supposed to be fighting for it, is now back in the loop, uh, fighting for the interim title against a guy called Jamal Hill, who was already on the card due to fight Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith is the big loser here that he's been bumped out of that fight, which was, I think, the co-main or, or I don't think it was the main. It might have been the co-main. Uh, and apparently, I haven't seen the footage of it, but he found out live on an MMA fighting podcast. So they said to him, oh, by the way, did you know you'd been knocked out of this fight and that now your opponent's fighting for the interim title? I was like, no. So uh, it's pretty <laughs> rough to find out in an interview that you've just suddenly lost that opportunity. But it, the only thing I would say on this one, Glover is and, and probably should win and is the number two ranked light heavyweight after um, Yeezy, even though he is uh, injured. Jamal Hill is number seven. You shouldn't ever really be ranked seven getting a title shot, in my humble opinion. So is this more, and again, this is completely opinion, there's no way to confirm or deny this, but do we think this is more Teixeira is essentially being handed the title in the nicest possible way that seems like he still fought for it and won it? Um, I wouldn't say that. I think it's that because of the fuck up in, this fight wouldn't have happened for sure if there'd been a winner in the one that we've just talked about that was a split decision. Um, and it would have likely been that Glover would have been next to fight Ankalev, if he, he should have won it, it feels more that they've scrambled to put something together because of that shithole uh, and, and that, that, that shit situation and shit decision. Uh, Glover's the winner out of this in that he gets a more easy fight, but I think it's more circumstances in the UFC trying to get a title fight and have a champion, even if it's the interim champion, than necessarily them catering to Glover because he's not exactly one of their big stars someone that they would pander to like that so um, there might be a bit of that in there to be honest and giving him a bit of an easy match up because of that but um, yeah it feels more circumstances and they feel like they need to have a champion because of the shit show uh, in the last uh, fight Well Teixeira will almost certainly win this I'd be shocked if he didn't are we thinking then he goes and fights Ankalev and they say you know this this should have been the fight anyway um, and then see how that goes down? Or do we have a rematch between um, the, the people in, in 282 and then see who the winner of that is to fight Teixeira? Uh, good shout. I think my view would be it would depend on how we think Glover will win, how Glover comes out. So if Glover comes out relatively unscathed and uninjured, not beaten up, I would agree with you. I think it goes Glover and Kalev then for the next fight. If Glover was a bit beaten up or had a medical suspension for a period of time, the obvious answer then would be they run back the split decision. Winner then takes on Glover. The winner of that then timeline-wise gets Prohaska uh, when he's back would be my guess if you planned out, you know, try to look too far ahead and applying a bit of MMA maths there. But that would be the obvious shout, I think. So I would agree with you if Glover comes through quickly and relatively unscathed, it'll be Ankalev. Well, that's three fights, isn't it? If if you do, if you don't have him fight Ankalev straight away, so you do Teixeira, you have a rematch of two eight two. The winner then fights Teixeira, and then it's Prohaska at the end of it. Then you've got three fights planned out, and you've probably got a year's worth of um, light heavyweight, aren't you? So I, I could see it being the other one. To be honest, I could see it being more that way. Uh, and then obviously there's the extra fight, extra PPV, extra money. Agreed, but there are none of them again are stellar names. To the average fan, are they? Uh, those, even even Glover, you know, Ankalev, Prohaska, uh, even Prohaska is not uh, got that name value yet. 
outside of probably hardcore MMA fans. That he's not a John Jones, he's not a, a Conor McGregor. So um, yeah, but that 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 would be if I had to guess, that would be the the panned out picture. Um, and as I say, I can't remember when two eight three is. I think is it January? Don't think it's this year because uh, I think the final January card is 21st. a fight card. Right. Okay. So that. I mean, to be fair, there's still time for that to fall through. One of them could get injured and we go back to square one and they'll have to reshuffle the deck again. So Anthony Smith staying on standby, training to keep fit would be the sensible thing because one of the other two fall out, he would probably be the obvious replacement in for Glove or Jamel Hill. Well, it's in Brazil as well, this one, isn't it? It's uh, 283. So I know that's the... Uh, God, I say that, I know there is. Is it a flyweight title? That's on the uh, the card as well, and it's Figueroa and Figueroa and Moreno. This is their fourth fight. <laughs> yeah, I think it's yeah, their fourth it one. Is. They've had a, a fair number uh, between them. Uh, again, they are the two by far and away. I think, in the, to be fair, um, flyweight contenders. So there's no obvious real uh, other options other than them, which is why it's on the fourth variety. But um, yeah. Good scrap. Or most of the the three previous ones have been pretty enjoyable fights. So um, yeah, that'll be a that'll be. A, uh, I, I've got to be honest. I didn't look ahead to the rest of the card, so I'm a bit unsure on the rest of that card because I knew it was a little bit ahead in time. So I haven't. Apart from those two fights we've talked about, I've got to be honest. I'm not entirely sure of the rest of the card on that one. See, I'm uh, becoming the UFC expert now. Huh? Again, I've said this before, and I'm saying it again. I'm taking it over clearly. Yeah. Googling is fucking quicker than me, is what you mean. Uh, well, that's uh, that's one of the ones um, that I did pick out. Paul Craig's on this fight, this fight card. Is it? Is it? Is he not being uh, lined up for March? That's interesting. Um, yeah, uh, I thought it was Fighting unusual, a Brazilian, but... I'm guessing. Fighting a Brazilian, uh, I'm guessing. Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker, again, was a real prospect at one point. Very flashy. I mean, they are the complete... That, that could equally be a horrendous matchup, but that is being lined up for Johnny Walker. I tell you, because Johnny Walker is a very flashy striker, no real ground game. Paul Craig is the complete opposite. Obviously, submission expert, very, very good high level jiu-jitsu, but not great on the feet. It feels like in Brazil, that's trying to be it, it, Craig's being the full guy. I would suggest there, uh, but could equally be the party ruiner for Johnny Walker. But Johnny Walker came in with a bit of a media storm to say very flashy striking ability and then got quite exposed to some of the holes in his game. So I um, can't remember his more recent record, but he's probably lost at least three of his last four fights, something like that. Uh, it came in quite, I think, undefeated or maybe one one loss. But yeah, he's, he definitely seems to have been a little bit on the decline. Darren Till-esque, you might even say. Oh, no one wants to be compared to Darren Till at the moment. Um, is, and again, a little bit off tangent, but is Pimblet injured? Not that I've seen. Why? Because I was reading they haven't announced night. him on the March card. Wait, not that, because if he isn't injured, he's almost certainly on that March card. But he had apparently picked up a, a leg injury. Um, he said that it were unsure as to when he'd return into the octagon to read near after suffering an injury during the fight. Um, and he was oh, apparently going to get that. x-rays. Um, 
Oh, equally, the cynical side of me says is that one of these excuses that you try to use these days to be like, yeah, I didn't lose, but I had a bit of an injury, which is I don't want to fight him a, again. Yeah, uh, an excuse, but not that, but more of an excuse on maybe why his performance wasn't as good as it could have been or why people expected. But that one, I, I hadn't noted that. I've got to be honest. So we'll have to wait and see how that one pans out. But yeah, it'd be disappointing if he can't make the March card. I'm going to say, especially if we get tickets for it. I'd, I'd quite like to see him fight, and um, I'm sure that whoever he does fight will be. Uh, it won't be a big fight. I can't see him um, taking on Tapura at uh, UFC 284. Is it 284? The only thing is, is uh, yeah, 284, I think. But that, that in terms of English fighters, they're falling through a little bit quickly now. So that would be potentially Paddy not fighting. Till doesn't look like he'd be on the card, given that he's lost and that he said he might take a bit of time away. So apart from, from Leon Edwards... Uh, you know, probably Molly Meatball. We said before she'd probably be on there. But, you know, in terms of your big, high-level English stars, that's two of them potentially out straight away. Is, um, oh, God, I forgot his name now. Got injured against Blades. Um, oh, oh uh, I can't remember his name. The heavy, uh, heavyweight strike kickboxer. Ah, fuck. Yeah, is he, is he still injured? He would like, he, he's the next... One of those, that kind of second echelon of fighter that you would expect to be on the card. Um, fuck, well, I can't remember his name. I'm going to say it's one of these that is literally on the tip of my tongue and I cannot for the life of me remember his name. We can come back to it. Um, Googling's, not so, Googling's not so quick now, is it? <laughs> well, it's not even... T- like, um, literally, I'm trying to do it now right quickly and it's it's giving me stuff like Bispin. It's like, no, I, I ain't asked that. But yeah, one of the things that we were talking about this week is... There were a little bit of a snippet from the one championship founder saying that that's the one, Thomas. Is he still injured? Can't see at the moment. I just managed to at least find his name quickly on the Google. But sorry to have uh, interrupted you. I just thought I'd shout out. No, no, you've, you've ruined it now. You've shouting at us, shouting us, shouting at the screens. It's fucking Tom Aspen, all your bricks. <laughs> there definitely is someone that's kicking off now. But um, yeah, so one championship founder or CEO has, has come out and said, essentially begging it. Um, he said that he thinks that the majority of champions that they have would beat the majority of champions that the UFC have. And he's obviously trying to angle at a, some sort of co- collaboration to try and get that to happen. Um, I think when I told you, you started laughing when you were driving, which pretty much sums up the chances of that happening. But yeah, chances of it happening, zero, maybe? Less than zero. Dana would just be like, that was, I'm surprised someone hasn't you know, interviewed him if he hasn't done any interviews yet, and he'll just laugh it off. I mean, this is not the first time, I've, like, you know, the, the number two, in inverted commas, promotion have tried to do a joint uh, promotion or collaboration with the UFC. I think it was Strikeforce tried it before with a guy called uh, the CEO, uh, Scott Coker, who is Sitdong's kind of equivalent, now runs Bellator, and he tried to do this, and Dana was like, nah. It's one of those things that the UFC is so far and above everybody else in terms of being the number one. What's the what's the benefit to them? There's no pl- obvious plus side. They do a load of champion versus champions. One would probably win some of those. To be they've got some very underrated fighters and some some silent fucking killers over there that people don't know. But let's say they did suddenly beat the UFC in the majority of them that gives them a massive boost what does it do to the UFC it completely fucks them so for me it's one of those the only upside is for one they're bound to say that there's no obvious plus side whatsoever for the UFC and what Dana had kind of said before if I'm not mistaken is well your fighters 
if they want to fight my champions, then let them run their contracts down. When they're free agents, come and sign with the UFC. I'll put them in for a fight. It's the kind of way to kind of get the same outcome, but none of this joint collaboration. So I would be shocked if it's even entertained for a second by the UFC. I think the fact that there hasn't been any sort of response from Dana probably says more than him actually responding because it's it's not just, you know what, I'll I'll just laugh it off and I'll, I'll just do a, a very quick note on air on, you know, some sort of interview. He's essentially completely ignored it. So I think you can't get any more of a clear sign that that just will not happen. He's got more important things to do, like slag off Jake Paul, hasn't he? So um, it's probably not Smash even Roids. on his... Uh, it, uh, it's not even on his uh, his radar. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can't see that happening for the life of me, if I'm honest with you. Anything else, UFC? Done for me. That was it. Unless you've got anything else. I've got a couple of bits on football. And then I think probably one topic we both talked about on boxing. But, um... Yeah, so I mean, we'll move on to football then. <sighs> I suppose we should cover World Cup, which obviously we'll do a little bit more probably next week in the final Tapping Cup in which we'll probably go over the World Cup final and, and discuss it a little bit further. For all my huster and bluster, I probably will end up watching it. I don't want to, don't get me wrong. I'd have been far more interested in it if it were England, um, but I'll probably watch it just to see if, if obviously Messi then any football fans place. got to watch. Any football fans got to watch the World Cup final, haven't they? Even if you're not in it, I don't remember a World Cup final that I haven't watched. Even if some of them might not live long in the memory of that was a great final, but... If you, you're not a real football fan if you're not watching the World Cup final, if you ask me. I, I don't know. I disagree. Like For the, the one where we got knocked out by... It would have been last World Cup, funnily enough. Knocked out by Croatia in semis. I couldn't bring myself to watch that. That it's Just knowing that that's where we should have been and that we should have... I mean, whether we won it or not, I think France would have probably beat us anyway, ironically. But, um, yeah, it's hard to watch something like that. And, again, putting that out there for you then. So when you watch Champions League and you get knocked out very close to the, the semis or the, the quarters, do you still go and watch the final? Every time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's the greatest club football game in the in the world for me. Again, um, I don't have many interests. Pretty much my interests are encapsulated in this podcast in terms of topics. So I can tell you Champions League final, I haven't watched either in the last 20 years. So it's interesting that you should say that that's the biggest... So you would say, obviously, and I don't think you'll get much disagreement, it's the biggest club game in the world in terms of football, yes? Yeah, and I know where you're going to yeah. try. Knowing ahead of time now how you do these things, the, the change in inflection in your voice, how are you trying to bait me here? Because are you not going to now throw out there about Infantino's nonsense about having a 32-team world club thing every four years? Is this where I you're going indeed. with that? I am indeed. So uh, the fact that you've read it is a, is a good start. Um, opinions on it? Because to me, I had a look through this and I had a look through sort of how their proposed formatting is. And it just sounds like a pile of shite. It, it doesn't seem to be any sort of rhyme or reason as to doing this. I can't imagine teams are going to be particularly happy about doing it, considering that obviously they're then going to have... So let, let's say Liverpool, for example. So let's say you're Liverpool... You've then got two domestic cups. You've got a European cup. Well, hopefully for you. And then you've potentially got what a World Cup. But how does that work? You're just at the point where you're going to have to have essentially one and a half teams, which obviously you've got the wealth to do that. But 
are any club teams going to be interested in this? Unless it's someone that's not really usually given any sort of publicity. I don't know. The only thing I would say that seemed, again, I tried to find some detail actually, because it, it, it seemed very generic what Infantino had said about it. And again, being a bit of a goon and a geek with it, I wanted to, how, how do you select those 32 teams? What's the, I'll be honest, I couldn't find anything on that. What all, the only information I could find was 32 teams and it was proposed to be held in a World Cup-esque manner every four years, as opposed to every year in the current format with seven teams. So I hear what you're saying in terms of, is it more games for people? And I think it was Carragher who had come out and said, a little bit over the top, but you're treating players like cattle by asking when they're going to have a break, when they're going to have a rest, which again, when you're on 100 grand a week, um, you know, my fucking heart bleeds for you. Um, (laughs) But um, so if it was every year, like the current format, that would be nonsense. And I would agree with you. Every four years, to me, makes it less of an impact on the player's fitness and ability to do it. I didn't even see, again, I couldn't find when they were proposing to hold this. Was it over the summer? Was it, you know, the, the usual one at the moment, the World Club Championships, usually in, depending where it's held, November, December, January type thing. I think it's February this year, isn't it? And it's in Morocco. Yeah, so it is in, it's in 2025. It would be the first one. And, Obviously, he's saying that it's all approved and it's all <coughs> going to happen. It'd be 2025 and it'd be during the summer. So right, if okay. you think at how that would work in so the, the 24 or 23-24 season, and in fact, it's 24-25 season, sorry, you're then going to have players potentially who are going to be playing from August and not have a break until not just the following August, but the following, what, May so you're talking two years of football? Um, yeah, I, it's pretty intense. I do get that. Um, did you, again, maybe it was my lack of Googling skills compared to you. What did you find then in the detail that you found, maybe it's beyond what I've saw, what's what's the criteria in terms of European teams of that 32? How many are going to be European? The, the, the obvious guess is it would be Champions League winners, um, Europa League, Europa Conference winners would be three. Um any more detail on how they're going to select the European teams? I don't think so. So for when he was speaking about it, um, he said that the, the details will essentially be developed in due course. And as it gets close to the stage, will and obviously once they've had the further consultation with, with the clubs that are, are going to be involved, um, they'll, they'll probably look to announce that. My assumption would be, so if you're thinking 32, I think at least, at least uh, half of that are going to have to be European, if not more. I mean, I would have said eight as a surely as a minimum, but would be a quarter. Uh, again, if they're trying to spread this kind of diversity and getting South American, Asian teams in. But yeah, you're probably talking eight, 10, 12 at least would be European, my suspicion. Um, and as you say, how maybe again, they might go the obvious way. If you were trying to think they might go to the top five leagues based on coefficients, which I guess at the moment would probably be England, Spain, Germany, France, Italy, those champions. That would be five teams. The three other European winners that we've said, that would make you eight straight off the bat. You could then weasel a few other ones in there. You might have the Champions League runners-up, maybe the Super Cup winners, something like that. But the Super Cup winners would be one of those other three anyway. So that would seem a pointless one. But I think it's got to be more. I don't think, I honestly don't think that you can just include that many teams from the top five leagues because there's a reason that they're the top five leagues in the world. No one really wants to watch. And again, I don't profess to know much about 
MLS, but let's say Seattle Sounders um, or New York City are going to be included. No one gives less of a fuck about those. Melbourne City, you're not going to care to watch those. You'll include them as the fillers and the, sort of a, the gaps that need to be filled. But people want to watch your Barcelona, your Madrid, your Juventus, Liverpool, City, etc., etc., etc. No one isn't going to, you know, you're not going to have people turn up saying, oh, can't wait to watch Al Halal here. Uh, I hope they win this game. It's not going to work like that. No, no, I definitely don't disagree with you. I think you're right. But I just think FIFA seem to be pushing this agenda of, you know, the general world bullshit of participation badges and, you know, inclusion and things like that. So I just get the feeling from that agenda that there would be more teams that you would wouldn't really want to watch like you know more teams from asia more teams from africa more teams from from north america than you would expect if it was supposed to be based on the quality and actually finding the world's best club team so um yeah hear what you're saying but i I, if knowing fifa and this kind of bullshit especially infantino i mean what a dipshit um it wouldn't surprise me at all if that you know fucking 10 teams from South America, five teams from Asia, you know, including Oceania with, you know, Melbourne or whoever the you know, Australian champions are, things like that. So be interesting to see. But that was how it felt to me as they've come out. They wanted to make a big announcement before the World Cup, but there's no real devil in the detail in terms of how those teams are going to be selected, the 32. Did you see, so speaking of sort of foreign teams um, that we wouldn't usually cover... There was a game this morning, which was the um, Melbourne derby um, down under. Don't so even talk to me about it. Have you not seen it? I bet on it. And it's been interrupted <laughs> and fucking abandoned. So I don't know why, yeah. but my bet's now fucking in limbo because of that. So, um, oh, yeah, watching it. I, I literally, I watched it. So I think, and again, I, I, I don't profess to know the history of what's happened beforehand, but a flare got thrown onto the pitch. And I think they, they've flown, uh, thrown the flare back. All of a sudden... Fans just invade the pitch and just start trying to fight the players. Um, someone picks up a, a metal bin and smashes a goalkeeper in the face with it. It's like, what What on earth is going on here? It was absolutely it mental. A, I've never seen it like I saw it. it was abandoned for player safety. And I thought that seems a bit of a bizarre one in Australia. You know, it's not exactly yeah. the hooligan central, but I mean, they are for fucking criminals, let's be fair. But all the from criminals, but um, it didn't, it, I, I, say, I did see it, only uh, the notifications of it, only because I had a bet on both teams to score uh, and over 2.5 goals. I think it was abandoned at 1-0. It was, it were abandoned at 1-0 and it was quite early on the game. I think it was like 20 minutes in. Um, but yeah, I've never seen, literally never seen it like it. He, he got smashed in the face with this bin and like blood coming down his head. I was like, what? <laughs> what's going on here? But yeah, I'll have to um, have a look at why that was. It'll be something to do with some sporting decision, I'm sure. Um, I don't know what their footballing body over there is. It's something like something generic, like football Australia. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely have to have a look at that. But interesting, anyway. It made interesting viewing on this Saturday morning. Um, the only one quick one I'll throw in there because I did text you. I saw the news broke last night about this, which again probably went slightly over your head and probably any younger generation. But uh, Sinsa Mihailovic died of leukemia at 53 last night uh, or yesterday, I think. Um, very sad news. Um, was certainly in my youth one of the best left backs in the world. Uh, this was when played in Serie A, when it was the be- undoubtedly in the 90s, the best league before the Premier League and the commerciality took over. 
seemed to recall, if I'm not mistaken, he played mainly for Sampdoria and Lazio, but went to Inter late on. But I tell you what, that motherfucker could take a free kick. Like I, I sent you one, which was probably, I was having a look afterwards, not really the best YouTube compilation. It was his top 14 goals and it was very slow. I found a better one that was four minutes afterwards of 66 goals he scored. This is from left back. And a little stat for you as well, just because we like to throw him in there. He did something that even Messi or Ronaldo have not ever done, which is a hat trick in one game of direct free kicks. It's a weird stat, isn't it? That's, I can't imagine he many people beating that. He could hit a ball. He could hit a ball. Honestly, I'll send you the link through this. This 66 goal he scored because they're a bit more quick fire and it's a bit easier to watch than the other one. But I'll tell you what, that, a lot of the time, I've got to be honest, you look at watching him, you're like, what the fuck is the goalie doing? There's some very questionable goalkeeping on some of his goals. But I can't remember. Again, one of the things that comes up when you Google him is best free kick taker ever. So I tell you, he, he could strike a ball cleaner than a lot. Yeah, he's got to be top five free kick takers of all time. If not, say maybe not the best. That might be a stretch, but he could strike a ball so cleanly for a left back as well. Did have a management career. Don't think he particularly was particularly successful in Serie A. I think he also managed Sporting in Portugal for a small bit. But yeah, sad loss. Very very good player when I was a kid growing up. Yeah, and. Um... It sounds horrible, but I didn't have a clue who he was. So I saw that news and then you sent me that message and I'd, I'd watched the video that you sent as well. And he clearly could take a free kick. Um, but yeah, not really one for my generation, I don't think. Understood. And definitely the case, I probably, as you say, if it hadn't been that I, let's say, loved football as a kid, that was when Serie A was on Channel 4, Gazette Football Italia. Uh, and many a Sunday in, in my youth, remember watching him smashing free kicks so um yeah it's definitely a generational one and he was a far better player in free kick taker than he was a manager yeah um and on more of a depressing note as well then so the boxing um josh warrington handed his second defeat of his career and, and rightfully so and the reason that i mentioned it earlier on in terms of the judges is to be honest i thought that they were going to give warrington the um the, the victory just because he's the the hometown lad I think, to be honest, I don't disagree with the scorecards. I had it as a draw. I definitely didn't have it as a warrant and win. But it, one of these things, and I think we spoke about this on last week's pod, they decided, which could have gone fantastically well for them, they decided to put a pause halfway through the event. And I've never seen a, a boxing event do this before, but put pause halfway through the event to allow fans in the stadium to watch the England match. Now, if they had won that match... I'm sure the atmosphere had been rocking. Everyone had been really up for it. Really good idea. But they didn't. And almost ironically, they ended up losing. The entire stadium is flat. No one's really that interested anymore. Obviously, they try to because they're still drinking, trying to enjoy the night. They then watched watched Josh Warrington not really come out of the gates early on, get sort of beaten up a little bit. And then he comes on quite strong late on, by which point it's too late. Um, He'd obviously had quite high hopes for a unification fight next year, which simply isn't happening anymore. He, he doesn't have a title for one. Uh, he's not going to be able to win a title and then fight for another title in the same year. It's just not likely. And it, it puts a little bit of a question mark on his career in general because he suffered the first loss against Lara and, again, in a fight that wasn't controversial at all. He just got battered. Came back from it with that draw. The arguments should have been that he should have had another fight. Obviously, it didn't happen. He then wins the title back, 
and then his next fight to, to defend the title, he ends up losing. So it brings the question mark as to whether he'd be even on the same level as the other champions for one and B, whether he ever gets the championship back or any sort of championship back in his division. Because I think he was saying that he'd quite like to fight Lee Wood next, which I'd like to watch that fight and I would hope that he would win that. But whether Lee Wood would be interested in that fight coming back from injury, I don't really see why he would. And I think if Josh Warrington loses that, that's pretty much his career dead. I think he's dead now, if I'm honest with you. I feel like um, that was his chance to maybe get a unification and try after the, the Lara sort of situation situation and boost himself back up and I feel like that's kind of gone now again he's the wrong side of the age hump in terms of you know he's, he's not getting any younger um and I felt that was probably maybe being a bit harsh here but probably the nail in his career to be fair at, at, at the top level for really big fights I mean again he's a popular lad around Leeds as we know as a hometown boy he's always going to be able to sell out you know Ellen Road uh Headingley places like that um locally but whether he'll be fighting again at those those upper echelon fighters um, feels unlikely for me. Well, that's the thing. And, and I think that's the reason that Eddie Hearn is persisting with him. I think had this been a fight with a, a lesser fan um, association, then you're probably seeing, as you say, the end of his career here. But if he's at the point where he's still getting people to come and watch him, he still needs to take advantage of that quite quickly because let's say he does lose his next fight, as diehard as Leeds fans are and as much as they'll go and watch him as, as much as possible, and you'll still get a group of people who will more than happy go and watch that. It's a few thousand people at least. But you're also at a point where people are just losing interest and certainly the more casual boxing fans or the people who are only supporting him because he's from Leeds are going to be a bit like, well, what am I going to go watch this guy for now? He's just going to lose his next fight and lose his next fight and... I certainly think any chances of him selling out any sort of stadiums are sort of just, you know decreasing rapidly. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be interesting what he does next. But I, I don't disagree. I think he's he's certainly winded down in his career now. Agreed. Um, I've got one final point on boxing just to, to quickly before we uh, wrap it up, which was um, and this one even was off my radar and you mentioned it to me, Anue. So fighting Butler. Uh, on a Tuesday morning, UK time, I think it was, wasn't it, this week? Yeah. Literally one of the top three pound-for-pound fighters in the world. Even us as big fans didn't know about it, or certainly I didn't, you brought it to my attention, maybe you didn't, it just missed off my radar. What a fucking ridiculous day to have a fighter of that calibre and a unification fight, let's be honest, it's not even like it's just, you know, some, on a fucking... So if it's Tuesday morning, it would have been, I think, Wednesday, Day, night or something like that if it was the morning japan is basically 12 hours ahead aren't they so it would have whatever it was us it would have been the evening when it was taking place in japan but what a bizarre time and to have one of the best fighters in the world well he he is i say i don't know if he i think we checked this but i don't know if he's, he's actually officially there but he's almost certainly in the top three pound for pound in the world he, fantastic fighter looks Easily. absolutely unstoppable and now he's the undisputed champion of the world. So he'll almost certainly jump up and I'd be interested to see what he does next, definitely. Reminds me of a young Pacquiao in that has hand, ridiculous hand speed, very wiry frame, but has insane power for the look of him. And his, his, his timing, very, very high quality of boxer. Um, and I think 
Pacquiao, if I'm not mistaken, when he retired, was an eight-weight world champion. Managed to breeze up through the weights because he carried that power. I think it's time for Inouye to do that and do exactly the same. I think he can go up easily three or four weight classes and still be very dominant and get towards, we've discussed it before, welterweight for me is where you start to get the big fights that people would really crave to see, your, your Terence Crawfords, your Errol Spence Juniors, people like that. So for me, Inouye, still relatively young, uh, got time to do that, but not on his side. If he's going to do that, he needs to do it pretty quickly. But ridiculous timing for a, for a fight of his calibre to not have it on a weekend. I agree. And I think it just shows how disrespected lower weight classes are. I think until you get to that certain point, as you say, well aware, people aren't really that bothered, despite the fact that this guy is clearly of a, a different level and hopefully will progress through the weight classes and, and get the respect that he deserves. Um, but yeah, I think that's all for us this week. Uh, and as always, thanks very much for listening. We'll catch you next week.